You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, welcome to the GFR show. If this is your first time here, I just really want you to know I'm glad you're here and I trust you're here for a reason. You're in for a treat. This show is unique. We really go in depth with our entrepreneurs and they share shit that they don't get to share on other shows, whether they don't have the opportunity because it's not a long enough format and focused enough on their personal story, or just that they haven't felt safe or ready to. This interview is no different in that respect. And our guest is Dr. Veronica Anderson. Kind of fun. We have Dr. V last show and another Dr. V and they do happen to know each other. They were in a mastermind with me years ago and it was fun having two African-American Dr. V's (laughs) in the group. So here's a question that summarizes the theme for today. Have you ever wondered if you should be doing something totally different? So at some point in your life, you were doing what you were doing and you just like had this thought, this feeling, this, this wondering, I feel like I should be doing something totally different. Well, that was the thought that Dr. Veronica Anderson had after graduating with honors from Princeton and going to medical school and a fellowship to be an eye surgeon and having her own seven figure eye surgery practice, a good husband, a couple kids. All of the luxuries of success, cars, houses, diamonds, and she was feeling like she should be doing something totally different. It's a beautiful story of unfolding with, you could tell by the title of the show, that she finds her way to really claiming her abilities as a psychic. And I just love eye surgeon psychic. I just fucking love that because she straddles both worlds so beautifully. She also does a lot with medical based intuitive work and she is highly qualified and she straddles both worlds so amazingly in that how she sees things and she takes her knowings and she creates practical advice and plans for people. And it's just so, I just, I could see I'm a big fan of Dr. Veronica Anderson. <laughs> a couple other things about her is that she is the best selling author of four books, including her most recent, which is Get the Respect You Deserve Seven Secrets to Getting Seen and Heard in Your Job and Relationships. And she 
uses her skills as an intuitive to guide high achieving professional women to make career, health, and relationship transitions that really serve their highest good. And it's just awesome to, for us to reconnect. It had been a few years since we talked. We actually spent two hours talking before we recorded the show. So that was so fun. And I really look forward to you hearing her story. I mean, I learned things that I didn't know before about what she experienced during medical school. And yeah, I don't want to give too much away. So without further ado, Miss Dr. Veronica Anderson. Dr. Veronica Anderson, welcome to the GFR show. I'm so happy to be here with you, Lisa. It's just a nice reunion. It is. It's a really nice reunion. I told everybody in the intro that we have a history of you being a client and a friend. And it's just, we haven't connected in a while. And I'm, (laughs) and just to give everybody a little behind the scenes, y'all, we were supposed to have started this interview like an hour ago. We've just been talking (laughs) and talking for almost two hours. It's been really, really great catch up. So I wanted to have you on the show because I knew you had a juicy story and I wanted to make sure that it was told. And I think it could just help so many people. I mean, the show was all about helping people to realize that when the shit hits the fan and they feel like, oh my God, could, you know, they're just looking around and like at the mess and the struggle, the show wants them to know it all has a purpose. I know your story, thought it'd be a really fun one to share. Let's just jump right in. So we're, we're going to crescendo your story at about 2009 when you really got severely depressed. But I would just love to take our listeners a little bit through the lead up in terms of how you got there. Like, how did you wind up getting to those circumstances? And you can even share some of your awareness, that hindsight 2020 awareness along the way, if you would like. Where do you want to start? Let's start with one of the things that at first I want to give everybody out there permission to feel okay with themselves. They didn't have a shitty childhood. See, I already cursed because I had a wonderful childhood, (laughs) a wonderful mother, my father who passed away in early 2020, thankfully before the pandemic, they were wonderful people. And I grew up with just me and my sister in what people would consider the perfect little family. And and what am I say that? I wasn't abused. I wasn't beat up. I wasn't sexually molested. My parents were always telling me that you can be all you can be. I said to my mother in the kitchen when I was like four years old, mom, I think I like helping. Well, I like, maybe I'll be a nurse. And she said, why don't you be a doctor? And <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. And that's My mother planted in me the seed. They used to, you love this, Lisa. They used to call my mom the Jewish mother. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He said, I'm going to have a doctor and lawyer. (laughs) That's what she has. She has two daughters and she has a doctor and a lawyer. And she used to get teased about being the Jewish mother because she was very focused on us being successful. Where did you grow up? In New Jersey, near you. Oh, that's right. I I forgot about that. In Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Both my parents were born in Philadelphia and came from there. So I grew up in Southern New Jersey in a very suburban, very middle-class town, very multicultural, multiracial, which is unusual now that I- 
through life, I see how unusual the place that I grew up in. I grew up in Willingboro, New Jersey, and Willingboro was a Levitt community. And my parents always told the story how Levitt, who built all these homes, because there's one, there's a Levittown, Pennsylvania. I actually live near. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's coming back to me. Yeah. So she told, they. my mother and father used to tell me the story how Levitt said, I'll never have any niggas live in my house. And, <gasps> they <bought a> house. <laughs> and what? And what? Was and my parents bought, bought a house there. And so did a lot of other African-American, other types of families too. These places were big lawsuits happened because it was the time of awareness where they're like, you can't do that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, now they do it a little more subtly through pricing people out and stuff like that. Back then, my father was in the military and they had this thing called the GI Bill and they gave money to help veterans. And yes. there were a lot of people who were able to take advantage of those type of things, including my father, who was able to get his education. My father became an electrical engineer, wow. actually worked for Siemens. My dad's an electrical engineer too. <laughs> Didn't know that. And my father helped develop the MRI machine. So I love to tell people that. Oh, story. that's interesting. He's absolutely, my father was absolutely brilliant. I didn't re- when I got older, I started to realize how brilliant my father really was because when you're young, there's just your father. And But I had a nice child. We did Indian princes and we went camping and we went on vacations and we played all kinds of sports and I was on a swim team. I had a really nice childhood. People love to talk about the crappy stuff. I know. I just actually really appreciate you. It's sort of like coming out and being like, trauma is okay, y'all, but like that wasn't my experience. And it's okay if that wasn't your experience, especially on this show. The other thing, the reason why I say that is because as a Black person, people like to bond around these trauma experiences. Like, and white people love Black people who've been down and out. We want to help you. White people want to help you when you've been down and out. And it's just like, but still, yet and still, even when you have my, both my parents ended up having master's degrees and very educated, you still end up being subject to bias and prejudices. Oh, for sure. One of the things of, you know, I'm fast forwarding a bit. How did I end up in holistic medicine at a point is because I'm just like, I see what happens in a hospital and how black people get treated. I need to stay well. (laughs) Okay. So people Uh. say, end up where you are. I'm like, I need to not be in the hospital where I see. Oh, so that was your motivation. Like how <laughs> do I. Holistic. Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. And, you know, I talked a little about this in the intro and part of the reason why you and I were talking so much is because I was sharing with you about my deep dive into my own unconscious racial bias and just my passion for waking myself the fuck up and whatever I could do to contribute to that. And so there's that complicated part of where black people have their own bias. It's so complicated. And so it's a very interesting to hear like part of your motivation was like, I, I don't want to be a black person in the hospital because I see how people get treated. So I'm going to figure out how to get well and be well. And that led you into holistic medicine. That's awesome. I'm a doctor, but in Western medicine, we do not teach people how to stay well. And people who are watching are like, yeah, that's right. There's so many things that we can do to stay well, mind, body, and spirit, but it's not what our system is based on. It's based on a pill to an ill and Ooh, that way because- People make a lot of money from sick people and poor people. So we always will have sick people and poor people. That's just the way it is. 
Yeah. You asked the question that I didn't answer of how okay. I am here, right? So I was yes. just telling you a little bit about my childhood, that I grew up in a middle-class family. No, I, I, I really appreciate that. I want to know the context of what grew Dr. Veronica. Like yeah, what was so the origin story? Black people like sometimes try to say, well, you ain't really, yes, I am really black. I'm, I'm <laughs> they come, don't try to like, we're not all a monolith. And you know, my husband grew up in West Africa. You know, I told him he's, I say, he's the, he's the real African-American in the family. <laughs> And he grew up in a family where everything you think about Africa is not how he grew up. His father was the director of an airline. They had a big family. So they had two houses, big houses side by side, and they had three Mercedes Benz. I mean, you don't hear about, this is what he did before he, this is where, how he lived before he came to America. And so he's really, he's been slummeted here compared to how he grew up. (laughs) (laughs) But I like people to hear, see that, no, we're not a monolith. And we think and feel different ways, just like every other group of people. Um, But also, if you didn't have that hard luck story, feel good about it and be glad. But that does not mean that you don't have other struggles. We all have struggles in our life because we're spiritually growing, right? So I met my former husband. You know, it's interesting because I don't like to call him my ex. (laughs) Because I yeah, just, I, I know a lot of people that are divorced that have kind of found their way into my former husband, my first husband, husband or yeah, my yeah. former husband and I met at Princeton. I went to Princeton University. My mother saw I was bright and told me you, you should go to Princeton. I don't know. I, you know, I think she had these dreams for herself. Yeah. And this is what parents do. And, and when you have, you know, I was, I'm blessed to have the parents I do. And anybody out there who's a parent understand that you are putting dreams into your child. Even when you name your child, every time you call their name, you're speaking their prophecy and their, their, in them. So you want to put something good. And my mother and father did that for me. And so wonderful. And so I ended up doing well through school, obviously, and applied to several schools, including three Ivy Leagues. And I got admitted to three Ivy Leagues, including Princeton and Harvard. And it was hard between Princeton and Harvard. I chose Princeton and I graduated from Princeton and went to medical school and graduated with honors because, you know, why do I say like that? I say it like that because when you are admitted as an African-American person, people like to think you're not as good. Affirmative action. They just let you in because you're black. See, these are the kind of things you get told when you're black, even when you're up here. And so yeah. thinking I wasn't good enough or somebody else was better than me. People tried to tell me that I took spots away from white people. Interesting. Right. So when I graduated from medical school with honors, there was a white man who I want to call his name. These are things that you remember. You're like, why do I remember these people who said this crap to me? I know. It just pisses me off, right? But it spurs you on in a way. He's like, oh, you're here. My friend didn't get in because you're here. Because they let in, right? And when we were graduating, I went up to him and said, so I graduated with honors. What's your excuse? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because I graduated from medical school with honors. And anybody who's going to medical schools, there's anybody who's a doctor, understands that you have to be at the very top of the class and on your game from day one to be able to do that. Regardless of the color of your skin. And I I had decided when I walked in, and this is about having clarity and vision. It didn't matter what the color of your skin is. It was like, what are your grades? And on the other side of it, it, you know, when you're going through certain places, it's not just that I didn't realize back then. It's not just that you can take a test because you got to be smart to take the test, but you also have to perform clinically and show you know what you're doing clinically. 
And so I had the gifts, talents, abilities to be able to do both. So being at the top of my class, I first said I wanted to go into OBGYN, obstetrics and gynecologist. And I had a woman, black woman mentor who actually delivered one of my babies who said to me, when you turn 40, do you want to get out of your bed and deliver a baby at 2 a.m.? And at 20, I knew the answer was no to that. So, mm. oh, wow. What a pet. I she changed the course of your life with just she that one question. My life. I'm so happy to, because, you know, that's just, so I'm glad there are women, women and men out there who do it. But it's tough. It's a, you know, it's tiring and you know, the, the malpractice is ridiculous because you know, when the way we look at things, if somebody doesn't have a perfect baby, it's the doctor's fault. And so the lawsuits are crazy and all that other kind of stuff. And we all of course we all want a perfect baby. And there are some negligent doctors, but by and large, you have bad events happen to good doctors. That's what happens. And that's what mm. I've seen across my career. Bad events happen to good doctors. So I switched into ophthalmology. And what happened is one of my medical school friends say, hey, you know what? You ever thought about ophthalmology? I know this cool guy in Harlem who has, you know, black man who has a practice there. Why don't you go visit him? And that's how I found out about ophthalmology. His name is John Mitchell. He had a practice in Harlem. And I went there and immediately knew that I love this. He had wow. of all ages, but he also got to do procedures. He got to do surgeries lasers and go to the hospital sometime and do that. It was just exciting because it had a mix of just all types of things. And so I decided as a first year medical student, ophthalmology, that's it for me. All right. So I went on to do that and ended up starting my own practice, building it to thousands. I used to joke because in the meantime, you know, after college, I, like right between college and medical school, I married my high school sweetheart. I ended up going to medical school. I took no breaks, none at all. Wow. But on the eve of medical school graduation, five days before, I had my first child. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You were pregnant your last year of medical school. I was pregnant. And then I walk across the stage to get my degree from the president of the university. And he says to me, I heard you did something a lot more tough than getting this medical degree. <laughs> Right. So wow. Oh my God. Five days postpartum, I received my medical degree. Oh my God. <laughs> and then six weeks later, I started my 85 to 100 hour weeks with an infant doing an internship. <gasps> lo and behold, girl. Oh my God. When you're an intern, you don't pay attention to birth control a whole lot. <laughs> Even if you did want to be an OB for a minute, <laughs> you're, you're, you're still young and fertile. And 13 months later, I, I ended up with another child. So my oldest two sons are 13 months apart. If you see my medical school picture with my first husband, my gown on and the baby, my oldest son in my oh, arms. Girl. Oh my, my God. Picture. And then I was a pregnant intern ended up going into preterm labor and anybody who's been through pregnancy, think about working 85 to hundred hour weeks, running around the hospital, doing codes, working in the ICU, working in the CCU, all the things. I that can't even do. imagine because my pregnant was mis pregnancy was miserable and I could not be on my feet like that. No way. Oh, we'd be a morning report. I, I, there were some days we'd be a morning report and I had to run off and throw up that I come back. <laughs> And then at the end of the day, I looked down at my feet and they were so, my legs were so swollen. It was scary to look at them. Wow. But somehow I ended up going into preterm labor and delivered a healthy baby boy. And then 13 days 
postpartum, went on to my residency in ophthalmology. Oh, <laughs> oh so and now, now let me switch over on, on something that I want to say something about that because right now I share with you, I'm working with high achieving women in relationships and I have different types of the way people do relationships. One type is a superwoman type. Did I sound like the superwoman or five? Oh yeah. So when I, you know, there's some other types in there that I'm like, oh, I've been that one too. And you know, <laughs> clients, but I was definitely, and a lot of uh, high achieving women were super when we did it all. I took care of the kids. I mean, you know, I had some housekeeping and some nannies and things like that, that helped me. But by and large, I mean, there was a time where in my medical practice, I would wake up, take my husband to the train station, drive my kids to school, go to my office or go to do surgery, come out of surgery, work in the office, pick my kids up and pick my, I did it all. Yeah. Okay. And surgeons, there was a that's double or triple residency, right? Surgery. In ophthalmology. And so I'll tell you what I did. Okay. So you go to four years of medical school and then I did a year of internal medicine internship, then three years of an ophthalmology residency. And then I also did a fellowship in glaucoma. So I'm fellowship. a fellowship-free glaucoma specialist. Then I decided to start my own practice from patient zero because I love the challenge, right? <laughs> you know, well, and you, and you had, you been working in other practices through I never worked in another practice. Just, wow. I only worked in my residency program where, you know, I was in New York city at Mount Sinai hospital, I went to Elmhurst. People probably know some of these hospitals now from yeah. watching the pandemic because Elmhurst was one of the hospitals that got hit really hard. Oh my gosh. But Elmhurst was a really crazy hospital always to the point where in ophthalmology, think about it, there's not a lot of eye emergencies. Yeah. But Elmhurst, there were so many emergencies that we had to sleep at the hospital. Wow. So it, was a, it was a rocking and rolling, always hospital, overcrowded, so many people coming in type place. How old were your kids when you started your own practice? Four or five, four or five-ish young. Wow. Wow. I was, yeah. I took them to Taekwondo and in the meantime, ended up getting a black belt myself. So, <laughs> I mean, I did it all. I did. So people are, yeah, I know people are, sitting there, people are sitting there saying, I hate her. I hate her. I hate her. I hate her. Listen, some of us are wired in a particular way and I just did it. However, I got to a point where I knew this isn't what I'm supposed to be really doing. Even though I had all the outward success because my former husband was in investment bank and private equity. I had this practice where I'm running around working part-time, making almost a million dollars a year. You know, we had everything, houses, diamond cars for people said, you know, I had it all. They sent us an American Express black card before even anybody knew what it was. One day it showed up in the mail and I was like, what's this? And then we pull it out, we go places and people, everybody would just like start running around and coming out of the woodworks because this is something they heard about and nobody had ever seen. We had what most people would consider the ultimate successful life. Yet I felt something missing and I couldn't put my finger on what that was that was missing. At the time we were, I also taught Sunday school and we were, they were, my <laughs> husband was very Christian. Let me tell you what we taught. We taught on managing money according to biblical principles. And it's excellent material because if you start learning what the Bible says about money, you will never want, you will know you were never born to be poor. Okay. Because <laughs> so we, we, we pulled in my, my former husband, and I actually wrote a course to teach people how to manage their money, but also take in their faith 
in how they did it. And so we taught about giving and tithing and receiving and what it says. So the people had a construct that went with their value system to change their life surrounding money. And years later, I'm divorced. I'm in Whole Foods. And one of the women who was in my class walked up and said, oh my God, you changed my life. You changed my life in that course. Thank you so much. So you do things. Well, you never know how you're impacting people. Yeah. So I'm living that crazy life, but feeling like I don't really now that managing money stuff, according to biblical principle is solid material. I'll tell you that. But all the other bull they were teaching around religion. I was just like, I don't believe this crap. My ex-husband called me Jezebel at times. Okay. <laughs> Which was, you know, you can see how we were on our way to not getting along. Um, <laughs> and why did he choose that? Being rebellious because okay. I wasn't doing things the way he interpreted I was supposed to do things according to, but see, I, I was a goddamn Proverbs 31 wife. You read that Proverbs 31, I did all the shit in it. Okay. <laughs> I was, and let me just tell you, I was living to be a perfectionist in every realm I possibly could, but I mean, I'm exhausted. We've been talking for 30 minutes. I'm so like, I can't even speak. I'm so exhausted just hearing about your amazing life and what you accomplished and, but just feeling very tired. <laughs> shame. You heard it and you heard, you said, oh my God, what an amazing life. So imagine the shame and guilt I felt around not wanting it. Yeah. Feeling like this is not, there's something else. I want to be someplace else. I just... When I walked down the aisle the day I got married and my father walked me down, I remember it was just me and, her, and I said, dad, I'm scared. He's like, Ronnie, it'll be okay. And he didn't say it's going to be perfect. He said, Ronnie, it's going to be okay. You'll be fine. And so, yeah, I am fine. But the marriage did fall apart because I decided this is not what I want. I just, I need to, I need time and I need space. And I just, I don't even know what I want now. Yeah. So, so is. yeah. So, so just to pause for a second to just look at that moment more closely because, or that not, wasn't like a moment, but that period of time more closely, because you have this practice, thriving practice, six, seven figure practice, the two kids, the black belt, literally, and all of the things, you know, the material things, and you worked your butt off to get all that. And you're feeling like this is not what I want. What I want to know is what were some of the other things like what were some of the other signs either outwardly or in your body or because you've mentioned your relationship. So that obviously was something that was cracking. What else was there that, that helped you kind of know this is not where it's I want to be? Because this is we talk, you have your commandments. And this is the one I don't I can't remember. I remember to trust your gut part. What to trust? Yeah, so it's yeah, GFR commandment number seven is was your favorite. And it's trust yourself, trust your gut. Trust yourself, trust your gut. Think of I'm, all this time I'm feeling and I'm having the vision or the premonition that there's something else, that something's not right. And, you know, even with my marriage falling apart and me deciding to walk away, I didn't walk away. Like we talk about your sister. She had this really dramatic story. I wasn't abused. My husband wasn't cheating. I, I had this beautiful life. I mean, the year before he got me like, you know, the four carat diamond. You got to understand, I knew for whatever reason, there's something else for me and something else I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't even know what it is. And so on the top of the world, as everybody would see it, I was getting depressed because I just felt like this isn't it. And I remember going to a 50th anniversary party for somebody in our church. 
and being with my former husband and thinking, we're, we're not going to get here. Mm-hmm. You know, I just knew we're not getting here. I looked at it and it was like, ugh. And it wasn't like he, he's not a bad person. He was a good husband. He was a, not a good husband. He was a great husband as far as doing everything that he could see to do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's a good yes. person. But I got to the point where we had finished what we were supposed to be doing together. Let me yes. put it that way. There's a time of completion. I totally so agree about all kinds of relationships. Yes. And, but that's not something that in our culture and society we honor. And so I did. And at that point I left my church and, you know, they abandoned, they act like I didn't exist when I walked away. Right. I was the Jezebel because let me give you another part about this. I decided when I was so, I was so depressed and, you know, I couldn't diagnose myself per se. I wasn't saying I was depressed. I just felt so horrible. And I'm like, what am I going to do to feel better? And so I decided I'm going to get a boyfriend. Now I'm still married to a Christian man. And I decided I'm going to get a boyfriend. Okay. But that don't go over so well. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe with other people. (laughs) It wasn't, this is not consensual non-monogamy. Got it. I, episode number, fun. let me just do a little plug. Episode number 11, if you want to hear more about my own personal journey with non-monogamy. Okay. There you <laughs> go. It wasn't consensual non-monogamy because I'm in this very Christian atmosphere where it's, there's one way to do things and that's yes. it, right. And that's fine. But so, but I couldn't figure out how to get out. And so I got really depressed and I started thinking about how to get out and how to get out would happen two ways. I would kill myself or he would die. I wasn't going to wow. kill him. I'll kill myself. And they start talking about when you know there's something wrong spiritually, when you start wishing somebody else would just die. And I think about how I was so depressed. I was thinking about how, how do I, what do I do that would save grace? Because getting a divorce in that realm is not acceptable or saving grace. Death. Wow would be saving grace. Right. So I was figuring out. So I became really clinically depressed even with the boyfriend and all. And finally, I had told my husband, I didn't really want to be married anymore. I wanted to break or whatever. And at that point, he became not as kind, let's just put it that way. And I was so depressed that we went to two therapists to try to save the marriage. Now, why do I want to put it like this with quotes? Air quotes, yes. Because my former husband had already decided once I had cheated that I was getting thrown away because I was, you know, had that big A on my chest. Right. Right. The pre- Hester Prynne. That's Hester Prynne. Yes. Away from Jezebel to Hester, Hester Prynne. Prynne. <laughs> now people are like, now I got to read the Bible and I got to go read about the scarlet letter Hester Prynne. <laughs> you know, that was unacceptable. And, you know, unacceptable because I think more, you know, for a man, the ego can't. Oh, take yeah. It. Totally embarrassing. Yeah. Whereas women, our ego takes it and we try to forgive and all these other things, maybe even when we shouldn't. We went to two therapists. One was a secular and one was a Christian therapist. And it turned out when I got really depressed and neither of them worked and, you know, my my ex laid all my misdeeds down on everybody. And the Christian therapist, her name is Melinda Contreras Bird. I'll tell you who she is. When she sat there looking at us, I remember her listening and looking at me and looking at him and she's like, your wife is really depressed. And she feels like she's going to die. Now, I didn't tell her this. I didn't tell her I felt like I wanted to die. 
When you're depressed and you think you're going to die, but you really want to live, you'll do whatever it takes to try to live. And so everything she's doing right now, including the affairs, are her way of trying to feel better and live. Wow. I, that w- I wasn't expecting that. I thought you're, she was going to be like the, the bad guy. <laughs> the secular therapist was like, oh, yeah, you just got to stop that. That's how we're going to fix that. So the Christian woman. Wow. She's also a Ph.D. in psychology. And so she taught at a seminary, but also in a psychology program, said that to him. Of course, it's still unacceptable. Right. Because the answer is she's wrong. Beat her up and tell her to straighten up in any way. Right. And so that was, of course, this was the end of the marriage. But when I became really clinically depressed that I hardly could get off the floor, one day I went to, I was still living in the house with my former husband, even though we had lived in different bedrooms and everything. I said, I really, I need help. And that therapist we went to, can you give me her number? And she gave me the number and I made an appointment and went to Melinda Contreras-Bird, who helped me through my dark nights of the soul. Wow. I'm getting the chills. She realized wow. what was going on. She said, don't be so quick to just try to fix everything. Let's sometimes mm-hmm. you got to sit with it. Maybe you need medication. I'm going to tell you because you're really in a bad place. Maybe you need to consider some medicine and she's a psychologist. So she couldn't write it. Right. But come, we're going to, you know, have some talk through therapy. I had talk therapy. I was going twice a week and I felt like at that time I could hardly make it from session to session. It's how bad I felt. I was like, okay, it's Tuesday. How am I going to make it to Friday? Yeah. And you're running (laughs) your seven figure practice and mother of two. But now by this point, what I had done is put myself on sabbatical and hired other doctors and taken some time off because I just, oh, great. Okay. All right. And, but what happened during that time, it was about a six, I would go twice a week and I started to feel a little bit better and see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it got better without medications. I had a, I used to go to the gym and I had a trainer at the gym and I go to training. He, I cry. He was Dave. I was like, this is (laughs) the best man ever. How can you deal with this blubbering woman? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a saint. This is a time where I have the, like these sessions, you know, and I mean, I liked, you know, of course we all work on our body, but I liked physical activity. I like moving around as you might be able to tell. Yes. Listen to my life. I like kind of running around and be active. I quit everything. And that went on to a new life, but I bought a new house three days after I closed from the house, four days after I closed on the house, I went back to my old house. I hadn't even told my former husband I'd done this. Our divorce papers were not done and signed. It's like six months into our deciding we're going to separate, we're negotiating. I go walk in my house. This is a 10,000 square foot house, one five acres that I, we had built from scratch it was my masterpiece house, wow. my dream house. As I walk from the garage into the kitchen, I see this boy there who's not my son. And I'm like, who's this? And I keep walking in and the kitchen appears and I turn and look and there's this woman in my kitchen. So I'm like, who is this? And so it dawns on me that my ex, he wasn't my ex at that point. We didn't even have divorce paper signs. had brought another woman into my house. Wow. And it was my house with my name was on it. <laughs> with, a, with the son or, or some. With her son. Like cooking in my kitchen. Wow. 
that was the before and after day. This is the day where I knew that everything I had learned had not prepared me for that moment. I went berserk. <laughs> I went over, I started hitting him, my husband. I started hitting her. I, if there were a gun, I would have killed two people. And when I got to the point where I stopped, so she gets her stuff, she runs out. And he, I've calmed down. I go, I'm on the back stairway. I'm crying hysterically because I had completely lost control and never had anything like that happen in my life. Violently lost control. And like I said, if there would have been a weapon there, I would be in jail. And I, then I was scared that charges were going to be pressed because we're talking assault here. So that was my before and after day. That was just like... Everything that I thought was real isn't. Everything I think I know, I don't know nothing. We got to do something different. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I, I love that you uh, call it your before and after day. I'm going to think about what mine is because I could totally connect with that woman, you, back then. And all of the years of hard work and head down and accomplish the thing and the Christian philosophy telling you like you're bad, he's the good one. And just all the, the compounding of all of it. And then the crescendo of that moment of coming back into your dream home and seeing him with another woman after you were the one that was villainized. Like, I think I'd go berserk too. <laughs> Let me just say though, I'm going to fast forward. So okay. In 2009, that was in 2009. And how old were your kids? I just always liked to kind of know the backdrop. 12, 17, 18, 19, somewhere around 12, 17, 18. Around wait, that they're period. both the same age. They're like 13 months apart. Well, wait, I'm sorry. We have, we have, see, <laughs> see this is <laughs> where the other a, kid wait, come I, in. Wait, wait, wait. I have a third son who we adopted when he was five. Okay. Okay. Let me tell it. you the beautiful, I want to tell you to uh, give you a beautiful, ah, in the middle of that. Okay. So, okay. Good. A little interlude. <laughs> really bad situation. His mother died. He, she had him when she was like 16 and died when she was like 18 months old. Oh, wow. And he could not be placed with the family because they were not appropriate and couldn't do it and everything like that. So we ended up adopting my former, so I tell you what a good person he is, because I don't think many men even think about doing things like adopting somebody else's child and not a family member. So we adopted Joel at five. I'm going to fast forward to now because, you know, they, when Joel came, he was really in a bad place. And when he was tested, they tried to say he was retarded. So Joel now has graduated from college and just got a job for TIAA CREF. Wow. Uh, t- has already taken some financial exams and passed them. See, this <laughs> is why you have to have a vision for your child. Cause they, we put this child that was not even genetically ours in our house. And my former husband and I had the vision that he's going to be great in life. And he is now already. He doesn't know about, he knows about his past now and everything like that. Cause you know, he's met his birth family, but He's done what most people would say he would, most people would write the end of the story for him poorly because of the beginning that he came from and because he's a black boy, right? I mean, we do that really easily. So I'm so proud of of Joel. It's just, he told me he's, he just got an apartment is going to move to Charlotte. I, we, after he left, I cried. I've cried because I, you know, he's been such my, such a great son, but also, you know, getting choked up the tears of joy to see him fly. Yes. 
No. So I'm like telling you like a good part about. Yeah. A lot of what, so the thing is when there's a before, it doesn't mean that all the things that were created before are just horrible and bad. I mean, there was a lot of good creative chapters. So as I'm going through all these transitions and the before and after underneath what was going on is that I realized that I knew things and could tell things with no logical answer. Ah, (laughs) so I was like, how do I know that about this person? And, you know, as I moved forward, I I started, I realized, you know, quite frankly, that I was psychic, but nobody ever talked about this. Wow. Wait, so, 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 so set the scene for when the psychic awareness comes in. So you've got a new house. No, the psychic awareness came in. I'd say about five or six years before I got divorced. So I'm living in very Christian life where, you know, they talk about people who have these abilities in ways that are negative in the biblical sense a lot of the times. Right. So I'm realizing these things about me that I feel like I can't, there's nobody I can reveal to, I have to hide, but I know things. And who do I talk to about this? Yes. And I love that we presence the timeline because in the dismantling of this perfect life from the outside and realizing the way that you talked about it, like there's something else, this is not what I'm supposed to be. And then, oh, this relationship is not, this person isn't the one I'm supposed to be with. And you were saying those feelings, like I always orient towards like intuition, right? I always orient towards, you know, and you said I had a a vision, you use those words when you're describing it, I had this vision of something else. And so now it's cool to see that the awareness that you kind of knew stuff and that even like labeling yourself psychic, I don't know if you did that then, is in the mix of this whole thing. But just like knowing things, I wrote my book, a book about this, where I could see part of my past lives being able to know things in a different way. And I don't know if this is law of attraction or what, but like I said, when I stood up where with my father, I was just like, huh, there's some, I'm scared. I'm, you know, and I, when I married my, when you, when you're walking down the aisle and you asked him, yeah. when I married my current husband, I remember I did not feel that way. Even one iota, one bit, you know, that hesitancy that, and I couldn't put my finger on anything specific either, right? So it's like, right? Oh, right? And that, and, and back then, that's not a reason. Not feeling that it's not right is not a good enough reason to. Yeah, there was yeah. no no flags or signs, or because I yeah. told you we're not talking abuse or anything like that. All the dramatic stuff where people can give you a right. We're talking all just spiritual yeah. stuff. But the other thing about our marriage ending. My parents got divorced when I was 18 and my father ended up marrying the woman who was my mother's best friend. Interesting. And my father and I had a rocky relationship as a result. We ended up, you know, having a very good relationship the latter years before he died. But for a while, it was just very difficult to forgive that in, in my eyes. And I always felt like something like that was going to happen to me. Interesting. So I'll just let you know that the woman who married my former husband was a woman from our church. Interesting. So when that happened, and I remember going to psychologist. It's like you had a premonition. <laughs> I remember going to psychologist and say, everything I thought was going to happen just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's So well, I can't tell you if that was a premonition or the law of attraction. I guess. Or is it all one in the same type? Yeah. That's a, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> that's a yeah. very interesting thing to think about. And I think about that a lot because, 
as you know, I operate that way for as much as I can in my life uh, on my intuition. And like last week I was surrendering, needing to to do these videos or these videos that I quote unquote needed to do for this marketing reset retreat that's coming up. And I wasn't freaking doing them. And I just finally was like, you know, that's it. I'm just, all right, you universe, you plan it. You schedule the day because I don't know when this is going to happen. You schedule the day when my makeup is good and I'm feeling good. And, and then it did yesterday, actually. And it is, is that law of attraction or is that just like, I knew there'd be a day, <laughs> you know, and if I could just let go and just trust that, so it, yeah, there's a whole, a whole conversation there, but I love the it's nuances of that. Having those visions. And I'm, I, I tell people when I do, people will say, what do you see from my, I'm like, I'm not a fortune teller, Yeah, but I'll have premonitions. Like, so for instance, when I met my current husband, we met through a friend, but I remember having that premonition that it's going to be me a long time off. That's going to be the one who's going to be with him when he transitions. It was like, I know I'm supposed to be with him. Now, you know, that's not the first thing I saw, <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? Well, you're having the stars and everything, it, but it was just like that, that knowing, that I remember, knowing. You know, you know, I can remember the minute we laid eyes on each other and not knowing what the significance is of, was it at all? You know, I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. You know, I didn't even talk to him. We went to a, we were at a party together and he came up and said something to me at the table. I didn't even, I said, he told me, oh, taste that food. It's really good. He was here next to me. I didn't even turn and look at him because I, I thought he was married. Now I had dated married men and I had decided by that point, I ain't talking to any married men. So I just yeah. got married. I'm not talking to him. I don't know what his status is because everybody, this was at a friend's party where he had told me all his friends were married. So I just assumed he was married. So I'm like, I ain't talking to, I ain't talking to this guy here. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, not knowing that I was talking to the man who would become my husband. Uh, wow. We ended up at, a month after that. I asked a friend, Hey, do you know any nice guys? And he said, well, in fact I do. And you met him. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't remember who he was. And we went on a date and the night when we went on that date, I knew there was something about him and we were at dinner. Okay. These are other things. That we're at dinner and it was my birthday. My birthday is January 20th. It's inauguration day, but <laughs> remember it's always for every four years. There's an exciting event on inauguration day. We go out and I hadn't told him it is his birthday. And we start, you know, you're meeting, this is a first date. So we're meeting each other. It's first date on your birthday. Yeah, I decided <laughs> to go out. I told him I was coming to New York and let's go out. But I didn't tell him it was my birthday. We went out to the restaurant. We're talking. And he's like, I don't know. You're doing small talk. When's your birthday? And I said, um, well, my <laughs> birthday's today. Oh, you should have told me. Oh, my God. Because he, but now, now I know what kind of person he was. He would have bought a big gift and everything. Oh, uh, because he's that kind of person. And I said, well, when is your birthday? He says, May a. And I'm like, oh my God, they say you marry or you attract the same person. Same birthday as your former husband? My former husband's birthday is May 8th. <laughs> my current husband's birthday is May 18th. Okay. <laughs> when he started to say it, Eight. <laughs> I was like, it, you can't make I this went shit up. from like going, oh my God, to, <gasps> okay. Right? It was yeah. like going from, you know, because people say that you attract the yes. same <laughs> or whatever. I'm yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. Whoa. And so <laughs> it's very interesting, you know, that happened. But I can tell you just, I knew, I knew 
almost upon like at that date that he was special. He's the one. However, your logical side doesn't ever let you do yeah. that. So how long did your logical side keep you from being engaged? <laughs> well, before we went on a date, he made it clear to me that he didn't want to get married. He wanted to tell me that he knows a lot of women. And I was like, cool, I've been married, been there, done that. We'll go out. Just whatever happens, happens. I'll see you when I see you, you know, no big deal. So we went out like this very unassuming organic way and I'm feeling like something, but I'm not like, a, you know, that one of those crazy clingy type, you know, some people get like that. That's all hormones, but some people get like that. I mean, I felt something different. It was just when I look at it now, a kind of knowing versus the hormone infatuation. Yeah. You yes, know what I'm yes. To, and there was just things that were clicking in that, that were just, now let me tell you what ended up clicking in. I don't know. 18 months before I met him, I wrote a list in my journal of what my perfect partner would be. We went out a few more times. I started realizing without getting out the journal, that he was checking everything that was on this list. Wow. Right. So I'm like, it's him. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I was not. And now within two weeks, I knew. And within two weeks, this guy who said he wouldn't get married started saying to me, I'm going to make him my wife. I'm going to be. Wow. And I was like, but what? I said, nothing's real till it's real. I kept saying to him, nothing's real till it's real. Not knowing that he was very serious. So by June, middle of June, one day he comes to the house, we're hanging out and, you know, making food. And he says, I got something to talk to you about. Right. And he's acting all funny and nervous. He sits me all down and he asked me to marry him. I was completely taken aback, surprised, was not expecting it. Even though he was saying to me, I'm going to make you my wife. I was like, yeah, ha ha. I did not take him seriously. So at six months. All. I was engaged after four months. So, you know, but you know, 26 years later, so well, I love that short engagement, short, short dating. Two months before I met him, my friend sent me to her psychic <laughs> and the psychic said to me, you're going to get married in 2012. Now this is 2011 when I meet him, but I met to the psychic in 20, at the end of 2010, October, 2010, I went to the psychic. I met him. Now think about it. I'm like, who am I going to get married to? Right. <laughs> in my life now, in 2012, I'm going to get married because now it's the fourth quarter of 2010. I'm like, how am I going to get married in 2012? Well, don't ask questions because December <laughs> 24th of that year, 2010, I met him at the party. That's amazing. January That's amazing. 20th of 2011, we went on our first date. <laughs> so we are about to celebrate our 10th anniversary, which we got married twice. Let me tell you how we got married in 2012. We All got right. Then, but then this for the last segment, I have to bring, I have to talk about who you are now and how you've taken your ownership of your psychic oh, ability and how yeah. it's serving you now. So we definitely have to make sure that we end with the listeners knowing yes. like how all this served you and, and where you like landed for now anyway. <laughs> so when I'm a, at being a psychic now, a full out psychic, cause I do the medical stuff, but people come to me for other psychic, always listen to your psychic. Cause she said, this is what's going to happen. And I was like, how's this going to happen? We got married in Philadelphia, December 31st, 2011. But my husband's family and him are Catholic. They wanted to have a Catholic wedding. So we decided we were going to get married in Paris by his cousin, who's a Catholic priest in a Catholic church. And we got married 
on June 23rd, 2012. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Always listen to your psychic. That is the conclusion. First of all, let's talk about, because now people find me for that which it's, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I was so scared to do it because I'm well, like, and I remember when we first started working together, it was like a side thing. You were into holistic medicine and you, you obviously had, you sold and let, you know, let go of your ophthalmology surgery practice and you were into holistic and you were helping other holistic professionals get their practice going. And it was on the side. It was like, Oh, I do this medical intuition thing. And it was sort of like on the side, but it ain't, on the side so much anymore. <laughs> no, it's not on the side. It is an integral part of what I do. I do help people from the medical side who have strange, rare, peculiar type things. But I also realize that I see so much other stuff when people come that now I do, it's a reading, I call it a life matrix reading where I look at the five areas of the life that create balance to see what are in the layers of the onion to help give people guidance in a different type of way. So I, it's very uh, strategic. <laughs> it yeah. I, when people leave after having an intuitive reading, I like them to have action steps or implementable things. I like them to know, hey, here's what I see, but here's the area where if you work on this area, you will get the most bang for your buck. Because I'm very practical like that. Yes, you are. And weaved into how I help my clients, I also realized around the, you know, a little bit before I met you, that in the human design system, I'm what's called a projector. And when I learned about the spiritual side of me that told me how my energy falls on people and what my spiritual wiring was, it was transformative because I realized I'm supposed to be a wise guy. I can see in my human design where I get my right brain downloads, my left brain uploads, where I get my intuition from, why I have a what's called a will center. So when I coach people, they can take in my will and get stuff done. I can see through that system how I can help people. So I use also that system to help other people see what they are so they can get the results and flow easier. So how it's all come full circle is that yes, people come to me with health problems and we work on, okay, we're going to work on this physical stuff, but we need to know the the emotional and the spiritual triggers and figure out how we transmute that. But really where I've been excelling now is working with high achieving women. Cause even though I first was marketing towards doctors, other women started coming towards me who do other stuff. One of, one of my clients used to fly on Air Force One. She was in the Air Force. So, wow. Um, yes. And they're, they're, but they're figuring out something's not quite right. And I don't know what it is. I don't know how to verbalize it. I know I'm supposed to be doing like I was feeling. I need to be doing something else, but how do I even get there? You call yours, get fucking real. I'm like, my coaching is called get what you want. Because <laughs> a lot of times, even though I had all these beautiful things in my life, I didn't have exactly what I wanted. But I didn't yes. even know what that was. And that's the key. I did not know what that was. I, so you, we take on what society tells us what we want because we don't really know what we want. Yeah. Yes. And I got to say, because, you know, you've been one of my coaches. That was, it was fabulous being with you for that time. May come back. Because you know, I have the same feeling. <laughs> clients, you know, bounce back and forth. You find yeah. somebody good and you're like, you go away for a while, you come back, you know, it's like, you know. Well, and we both evolve, right? And you, you're evolving and then, you know, 
paths cross again. <laughs> that's the important piece about that is people who are listening have to understand that I didn't get here by myself. The way I got here is because other people at different times took me by the hand, but I had to understand that I needed to get help and be taken by the hand. So I went to get the psychologist. You know, there was that time where my trainer was like acting like my transformational coach. And then I decided I need other people to help me get from here to there. And so I started, I learned about, you know, having the best coaches I can and investing in me to help learn more about me so that I could be better at helping my clients. And so I think it's, it's crucial that people have coaches and I don't know why more people don't use them and people think they're crazy or whatever. And it's, it's an investment in you to like, get you from here to there. It's like, I, I coach with also Dan Sullivan and he says who he has a book out now about it. He said this all the time. You always need to figure out who not how. And so if you want to figure out how to move your life forward, you're not going to get it on the university of Google. Somebody's going to show you when I had I a totally question, agree. I got to be able to say, Lisa, how this, that, and the other thing, because it's not something that's easily Googleable. You need to be able to go back and forth and have an exchange. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How did you finally get to the place where you were willing to say I'm psychic and, and put that out there <laughs> to another coach? coach? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So I had one coach tell me I was a medical intuitive. Like I told you, there's a woman at the psychic, uh, not at the, I was at an entrepreneurial event and there was a woman there who was a out practicing psychic who outed me. She said, Oh, you have business. You're really good. So it's like, Oh my God, somebody, people, somebody can tell that we know <laughs> we can tell each other. We can tell each other. It's interesting. Right. Once you start looking and then like I meet clients and I'll be like, you know, you have the gift, right? <laughs> It's like you pay it forward. You pay it forward. You know, you have the gift, right? And let me pull out your human design to show you even more while I'm saying you have the gift. I love this. I love this. Because I I deal with a lot of left brain people. So I like to see something. Well, and I love that about you that you you definitely, and people say the same about me is that I'm woo woo, but I'm also practical. I kind of like, I'm able to have my feet in both worlds. And I, I think that about you too, from the science and the medical and all that. And then the woo woo, I mean, it's such a beautiful like you are a bridge in so many ways for so many people. Yeah. So one coach, so this woman out at me, and then I had a coach at the time who I was telling her about how I was communi- had communicated. We have an international business and people would say to me, I wasn't acting as a doctor. I was doing, I left medicine for a bit anyway. And people would say to me, do you, um, you're a doctor, right? Can I ask you a question? And they would text me and I'd be like, I knew what was wrong with them. I would know, I would get, writing across the sky, words across the sky, really where I could read or I could see something that, and then what I would do is I'd start asking them questions. I text them back questions to verify what it was. And and then that's getting a download. I would get to download on what to tell them to do too. Now, because I was doing it internationally, it was very comfortable to do it because I was like, nobody could come get me. Right, right. In the American realm, it was like, I'm a real doctor. I can't do that. I'll be, you know, doctors will come after me because they're jealous. That's why they come after you because they may because they can't do what you do. But let me just just say what it is. But what happened is I still I didn't want to even though I could know this I didn't want to and I injured my left knee really bad and I had a spiritual coach at that time who said 
you have all this intuition and you're refusing to use it. And this is why you hurt yourself. Mm. <laughs> Your the inflexibility. And it was like, oh, my knee injury was, I tore all tendons, all the ligaments and detached the tendon in my left knee. It was the, one of the, my, the doctor said it was like a ski injury. And how did it happen? I went out running forcing myself to run that day because I was beating myself up because I needed to go for a run and I can't, I would be slacking if I didn't. So I mm -hmm. went, even though I didn't want to, everything was saying, don't go. And I went right. Didn't listen to my intuition, tripped and fell Wow. and tore up my leg like a ski accident. Wow. That was another before after day. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> because definitely. in the hospital, the coach I called me at the time because we were supposed to have a coaching. And I said, I'm in the hospital. Here's what happened. He's like, here's why it happened. I mean, he told me all about myself, no mercy, nothing right there in the hospital. And he said, we're, we're going to work on this. And at that point is when I decided to offer my services professionally. I love that. Right? I love that. And people started coming. I realized that people came easier for that than they did for any of the medical stuff right? The medical stuff, people are all in their left brain and blah, blah, blah. When it's this stuff, I'm like, you know what? I can work on with you with that stuff. That's really easy. It's just a formula that your doctor doesn't know the formula. I know it. That's easy. But what's triggering it is the big deal. Like I was punishing and hurting myself. And that's why I had this injury. Yes. So helping people understand the meaning of their illnesses and then how to shift so that you don't keep getting sick or get sicker is where I excel in that. I love it. It's such a beautiful combination. I love this is a, like a really great place to complete because I, it's just such a beautiful combination of everything that you've been through and all of your own awarenesses and those before and after moments. And I encourage our listeners to look for their before and after moment. <laughs> I think when you can see it, it really helps the after really come to fruition and I'm so glad that we get to reconnect and I get to hear how awesome that you're doing and learn a lot. I didn't know about your adopted son and I just really enjoyed hearing about your life and all that is Dr. Veronica. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, you know, I do this if it helps somebody and they learn something about themselves. I think you do what you do for that reason. It's about helping people be who they are and helping the world because this is this is what I'm here to do and what most of us are here to do. So awesome. Thank you so much. Talk with you soon. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could have gone on for another hour with Dr. Veronica. That was so great. I, I mean, can you believe she's having babies in medical school and her residency? And I just, I just Honestly, I cannot even imagine. I'm so blown away by that. It's like the biggest, it's the most impactful credential. Honestly, I just, wow. Right. So she has a really fun giveaway called the free be honest worksheet. And it's of course it's so GFR, the be honest worksheet. The link for that is in the show notes and that's the best way to stay in touch with her. Her website is in that URL, drveronica.com. And if you're interested in having a reading with her, which I am going to do it, I've been thinking about doing it. I'm going to do it. So you can just sign up right there on her website too for a reading. And for our GFR squad members, we did a really cool segment on three simple ways to get started with social justice. 
And this was something that we had talked about before we started taping the show, because as you all know, I'm on this initiative to bring many more people of color to my show. And, you know, talked, I was talking to her about my journey with my unconscious racial bias work and all this stuff. And she had a lot to say. So we decided to make it a bonus. And actually, it's really great. She comes, it really boils down to three really simple things that you could do if you want to feel like you're doing something, but doing the right things. So that is for our GFR squad members. If you're not a member yet, I'd love to hang out with you. We get together monthly. We pick one of the GFR commandments and we talk and it's a really great group. So it's only $20 a month. So go to gfr.life forward slash squad to hang out with me and GFR with me. And by the way, if you haven't gotten your commandments, well, that is a primer for the show. If you're new, you're going to want to get those. Go to gfr.life forward slash 12C. And there's a link in the show notes. As you know, Dr. Veronica's favorite commandment was number seven, trust yourself, trust your gut. Ah, such a juicy one. I wonder what yours is. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe. You don't want to miss any of these amazing stories. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Over and out for now.